Welcome to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast, a podcast all about leadership, change, and personal growth. The goal? To help you lead like never before in your church or in your business. And now, your host, Carrie Newhoff. Well, hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 271 of the podcast. My name is Kerry Newhoff, and I hope our time together today helps you lead like never before. Well, wherever you happen to be in life, one of the situations you run into is you need to make conversation. And the question is, can you make great conversation? Whatever happened to the art of conversation and more specifically, interviewing? I have actually over the last number of years become a bit of a student of what makes for a good interview because, well, I kind of do this once or twice a week, right? And I want to get better at interviewing. So I'm super excited about today's episode because I talk to one of today's best interviewers about interviewing, Ken Coleman. He is a career expert, author, radio host, and uh, really a well-respected interviewer and broadcaster. He is host of the Ken Coleman Show and also the top-rated Entree Leadership Podcast. And he's a frequent guest host of the Dave Ramsey Show, one of the most popular syndicated radio shows in America. And not only are we going to talk about interviewing today, but when he, he gets into some really fascinating stuff, we're going to talk about his new book called The Proximity Principle, which is a fantastic book. I talked to so many people who just feel limited by their circumstances and how do you network and how do you get to know people? And Ken has got a beautiful career advancement book together uh, that just makes a lot of sense, particularly for the hyper-connected world that we live in. So we're going to talk about that. I think you're going to love today's show. If you are a new listener, welcome. And if you haven't subscribed yet, what are you waiting for? It's absolutely free. I only ever listen to the podcasts I subscribe to. And uh, you can do that wherever you get your podcast. Just subscribe for free. For all of you who are leaving ratings and reviews, thank you. It means so much. And when you share on social, uh, it makes us so grateful. Thanks for helping us get the word out. Last month was the best month ever in the history of the podcast. You guys continue to uh, make this journey so worthwhile and rewarding, and I hope it helps you. And speaking of help, maybe you need some help training your volunteers this summer. I mean, volunteer training is more critical than ever. First of all, they're your vision carriers. If they don't understand the vision, um, well, you pay a price. Secondly, safety and security, huge deal. Third, don't you want them to be equipped to do their job? I mean, that helps so much with volunteer retention. And if you're wondering how to train all of your volunteers well, you need to check out Trained Up by Serve HQ. So it's a very flexible model. So you can basically download everything. It's done for you, turnkey, or... You can do a little bit of their stuff and add your own modules, or you can completely customize it. They have an extensive training library done for you. Uh, again, you can slip in some of your own modules. You can white label it and make it your own brand, or simply do the whole thing from scratch and use Trained Up by ServeHQ as your platform. So if you've already got training videos or content ready to go, you can use Trained Up as the delivery platform. Just make a new course, upload it, or you can use the training content you find maybe from a third-party provider on YouTube or Vimeo. It's almost infinitely configurable. And the best news is your volunteers get trained on their own schedule. You don't have to get them in on a Saturday or a Wednesday night or Sunday after church or whatever. And they get a lot of support too. So they support non-video-based training. You can add PDF files, Word docs, images, 
plain text, etc., etc., etc. If you haven't checked it out, what are you waiting for? You can try Trained Up for free for 14 days at their website, which you can find at servehq.church. That's servehq.church. Try Trained Up for free for 14 days. And if you're also looking for help in the media department, you've come to the right place. Pro Media Fire is a partner of this podcast, and they know that attention spans are dwindling. It's getting harder and harder to stand out online. Yeah, and you can get buried by algorithms that if people don't engage with your content, your content kind of disappears. So how do you get noticed in an affordable way? Well, Pro Media Fire will help you stand out in social media feeds like Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube with promotional content that can highlight your events, promotions, services, series, whatever else you want to talk about. Now, one of their plans is called the Design Fire Monthly Plan. It gives you a team of professional graphic designers on demand. Every month, you can request as many graphics as needed for your ministries, events, messages, and more. And normally, your designs are delivered to you within four or five days, depending on the complexity of the request. So kind of done in the same week you asked. Their team of graphic designers and video editors can create custom videos and graphics for you each month for a flat rate. So if you need some fire for your content on social, check out Pro Media Fire. Listeners of this podcast, because you guys are great, get 10% off your plans for life by going to this address. Go to promediafire.com slash carry. That's promediafire.com forward slash carry. Uh, love to serve you there. Well, I am so excited to have Ken Coleman on the show today. And without much further fanfare, let's dive into my conversation about having conversations and more with Ken Coleman. Ken, welcome to the podcast. It's so good to have you. Harry, good to be with you. Yeah, yeah. So I'd love to, this, this has been a thrill for me because you are known for interviewing among many things, you know, author and uh, you often host Dave's show for him. You have your own show. Uh, but I would love to talk to you about interviewing. It probably is one of the top questions I get these days, and I'd love to pick your brain for a little while. Uh, interviewing skills, they, they tend to bleed over into other areas of life too, right? Like how do you engage other people? How do you, how do you draw the best out of them? So uh, you've interviewed some top people. Why do you think interviewing, let's start at the meta level, has been so pervasive over the years? Like it's a format that not only is not going away, but thanks to podcasting seems to be getting bigger, not smaller. Yeah, absolutely right. It's a great question. Because if you think about it, Kerry, every late night show, certainly in our Western world, American television is interview based. I mean, you have the stand, yeah. you've got uh, some skits, but from generation to generation, right, going all the way back to the very first Tonight Show to now Jimmy Fallon and and uh, on and on and on. Even with James Corden with The Late Show, he's got a very popular interview version in the car around singing. Yeah. So you you really you really uh, have have I think encapsulized something here, and it is two things. Number one, we as human beings have a voyeuristic nature, right? I think we right. we we just are kind of nosy, for a lack of a better way to say it. We like to listen in to to uh, eavesdrop, you know, to watch, and to uh, just kind of get an idea of what's going on in this conversation over there. And then at a much deeper level, uh, I think we as humans love connection. I think we're created to connect. Mm. And I think that a conversation is really the easiest, most primal way to connect with somebody is a conversation. If you think about it, even in a romantic connection, it right. almost never happens like we might see in a movie from time to time where a man or a woman 
catch each other's eyes and they instantly, you know, usually there's a date and there's a dinner and there's ensuing conversation. And so I just think that those are the two main reasons why the interview format will always be relevant. Yeah, it's it's interesting. I was listening to on my own podcast feed. It was a Tim Ferriss show. I can't remember the guest exactly, but he said something I hadn't really thought of. And he was someone who recently got married and he said he dated a lot of people and he realized there was this pattern in his relationships and his dating that wasn't very good. But he found his wife who I think they've been married five years or something. So it's not that recent. But he said he knew that she was the one for him when they went for dinner and five hours later, they hadn't even come close. Like, where did the time go? They hadn't even come close to running out of things. And I think about that with my own wife at this stage of life, we're empty nesters. He spent a lot of time together and conversation back and forth. That is the heart of so much of life, isn't it? It really is. And and I think that that's why we enjoy great conversations. You know, if you ever somebody say, yeah. oh, I love listening to this podcast because it's great interviews, or let's use Tim Ferriss as an example. You know, he does these long form conversations. Everybody, oh, everybody says, well, it's so good. And, and why were they so good? Because you got something out of it uh, is at its base level, probably the number one reason. But the second reason is it was interesting. Because if you listen yeah. to a two hour interview, it's because it's interesting because nobody's going to listen to anything for two minutes. If it's not interesting. Yeah, that's true. Um, do you think you get things out of people when you interview them that you would never hear otherwise? I know that I do. Yeah. I, I will tell you that plainly. Uh, but I work at it. And, uh, and, and there's no question that uh, a surface level friendly conversation uh, is not going to yield something that an intentional conversation is. So for instance, if you and I uh, if we run into each other at, say, a mutual friend of ours event, I'm thinking of Reggie Joyner's Orange Conference. Say you yeah. run into each other real quick in a green room, right? Because that could very easily happen. That and if we sure run does. into each other, we, we, we're going to say, hey, what's going on, Carrie? Tell me what's going on in your world and blah, blah, blah. We have a surface level. It's very interesting. It's, it's genuine, but it's surface level because it's quicker and we're exchanging. We're getting caught up and we're being kind to each other, right? That's different than if you and I go steal away to a coffee shop around the corner and have two hours together. What I'm going to learn from you in that two hours is way deeper, way better, way more informative than what I'm going to learn in that green room. So what do you do to get the best out of a guest? What are some of your, because you've done, I don't know, thousands of interviews. What, what are some of the things you do that you know if you do these things, the guest is going to talk? Well, that's a great question. I always try to work in a personal question, and I don't mean something that is of an intimate or private nature. I mean really to their backstory, from their from their mm. experience. I want to take my guest back in time, and I want to take them back in time very specifically. So not a general, "Hey, take me, uh, give me an uh, give me an example of uh, sometime in your past where you were challenged as leader." No, 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 no. So that's a bad question. A good question that does what you're talking about says this. I want you to take me back to the uh, first six months of your company. You, you, you launched it, and I want you to take me to a moment where something didn't go well, or maybe there was a week or a day or maybe even a two-hour period where you felt so uncertain you questioned whether or not you should even be doing this. You see the difference in the questions? Uh-huh. So what I'm doing here is two things. Number one, uh, by taking them back into time, they are much more invested in the answer because they have to go back. Okay? Right. And, and so I'm taking them back, but by being very specific and leading them to a specific situation and really a topic, 
Because what is the real topic? I'm asking him a question about being uncertain, dealing with doubt. As well. mm-hmm. Like that was the reason for the question. But the way I just worded it for you explains how taking them back, but then being also very, very specific uh, puts them in a corner, but in a good corner. You know, we, we see journalists all the time with the gotcha stuff. I like to ask yeah. gotcha questions that aren't gotcha questions. You know, you're not making them uncomfortable. You're making them actually think a little bit and they're not going to give you the stock answer. So by making them dig back in time and dig for specifics, you're going to get a more engaged answer. That's interesting. Do you do that as a rule early on in interviews? Is there a certain point? Like how do you break the ice with a guest? Yeah, I always try to break the ice relationally in the first five to seven minutes. No question about it. Now it's always different. Um, yeah, yeah. I'm at a stage now where I'm I'm much more experienced and I've done this a, a long time and I've got, I don't even know how many hours of interviews under my belt. And there's a certain amount of feel that, you know, leaders yeah. can identify with. You're in a meeting and you can feel your way through certain things with certain people. And even if it's somebody I've never met before, which I, I guess, you know, right now it's probably, I'd still say a large, you know, portion of the interviews I do for Entree Leadership or if somebody comes on the Ken Coleman show, uh, I, I may not have a, a good relationship with them at all. And, and, and right. so I try to break the ice in this way. I want them to feel like Ken is really enjoying this. He's actually hmm. happy to talk to me. He really actually cares about this. I want them to feel that. And, and then I want them to feel like I respect their opinion. I think if you can do those two things in the way that I ask the question, the emotion, that I can send across the airwaves if we're not in person, uh, that makes them go, okay, this is not just, he's not just doing this because he's got to do it. And I think that breaks the ice a lot of times. But again, going back to their, going back in time, personal story, uh, that kind of thing, those two answers, my last two answers, those combined together, that's going to always break the ice. Certainly with somebody who's been interviewed a lot. Yes. I, and, and the reason I'm so interested in this, not only am I selfishly taking notes, there's a little bit of that going on That's right fine. now, Ken. And I love it. But I just think interpersonal relationships, people skills, the ability to make other people feel comfortable, to draw stories out of them, valuable information, to have that real exchange happen yeah. is a rarer and rarer art form in our culture today. In a culture of outrage, in a culture of superficial relationships, the ability to really connect with someone else, uh, I think has huge leadership potential. So how, let's go back to what you just said. How would you like let people know? What are some things you would do to let them know? I'm having a really good time. I'm really enjoying this and I'm in. This isn't interview number 82 for me this month. Well, little things. Uh, Let's start with the easiest uh, in a situation where you're not sitting face to face with them. So that is general enthusiasm. Enthusiasm, you want to talk about a lost art form, is enthusiasm. (laughs) And I don't mean fake excitement, over-the-top Magoo cheese. I don't mean that. I mean just good old-fashioned enthusiasm and and injecting that in your reply. Um, You know, there's a way to do it in the form of the follow-up. So if I ask you a question about leadership and, and you give me an answer, instead of moving on to the next question and that first that first opportunity to talk with you, uh, I'm going to purposely go to a follow-up question, but it's probably after I, I have picked out one thing, or maybe two, but at minimum one thing that you said in your answer, and I go, that was really good 
I, I think that really applies to my audience this way. I want you to stay there. Take me a little deeper. You see how that makes you feel? You go, oh, you just made me feel good. I made you feel good because, because why? Because I cared enough to listen and I cared enough to acknowledge that you had something that really helped me and helps the audience. And I'm not just giving you an empty compliment. I'm actually giving you an opportunity to take us deeper. And who's not going to feel valued? Who's not going to yeah. feel like, okay, all right. I mean, have you ever met anybody who doesn't want to give their opinion? I mean, you know, <laughs> outside of a 13 or 14-year-old kid who's going through middle school or something like that. But, you know, yeah. people want to feel valued themselves. They want to feel valuable. So enthusiasm is one thing. And, and then the other thing, too, is I love giving this piece of advice for people that are doing in-person interviews. So if you're a pastor and you're doing, mm -hmm. you've got a celebrity in in front of your church or whatever, and they've been interviewed 500 times by people way more yes. famous than you, let me tell you what will work here to answer Carrie's question. Good old-fashioned body language. You can mm. show enthusiasm without ever uttering a word. How about letting your eyes dance a little bit, you know? How about like raising an eyebrow like you're doing right there, you know? Yeah. Look like, oh, this is really good. I can't even believe I'm sitting here and I get to hear you share this with the audience. You can say that with one face. You can say everything I just said. Um, you know, uh, there's just a way to make people feel like you actually are more excited than anybody else to be there. And, and I think what happens is, is that person goes, wow. And, and there's, nothing, there's nothing that shows courtesy um, or uh, makes a connection better than just acting like you care. Mm. I think it's just that simple. Act like you care with what you say and how you move your body, your face. Lean in a little bit. You know, I mean, just even if you feel like, you know, you need to go to the hospital afterwards, you better act <laughs> like they've just given you the formula to cold fusion. <laughs> do you find that a lot, because you do interview some very, very famous people, um, that a lot of them are really good at personally engaging you? Yeah. Uh, and I say that that's a bit of a loaded question, but that's one thing that has really surprised me as you meet some people who've been heroes uh, I, I remember um, meeting John Ortberg yeah. for the second time, not the first time, a few years ago. And he walked across the parking lot. He gave me a bear hug and he picked me up off my feet. Mm. When was the last time somebody did that to an adult? You know, exactly. Uh, it's like, it's been a long time enough that a year and a half later, I'm still talking about it. We're going to get together again later this year. But like, I am blown away by the level, like, you know, a Tony Robbins or a Tony Dungy or John Maxwell, you know, that level of leader, often when I meet people like that, and I haven't met them, but I'm blown away by how personal, how engaged, they know your name, they look you in the eye, and it's like they have nothing else important going on in their life. Has that been your experience a lot of the time too? And what do you read into that? Yeah, I've never, I've been asked this question a lot. Have you ever had somebody that was really famous that was just a super disappointing conversation? And fortunately, I haven't. And because though of the nature by which I'm interviewing people, either they're you know, let's take my, go back way, way back to when I first started doing interviews with well-known people, you know, mm. Tony Dungy in front of 12,000 people at Catalyst, 12,000 pastors, the most critical group on the, on the planet. Do you know what yeah. I mean? So Tony yep. knows he's in front of 12,000 pastors, so he's not going to mail it in if he's got any character <laughs> at all, you know? <laughs> yeah. uh, and then the last probably super crazy famous person I was with in person was Condoleezza Rice last May in front of, you know, 3,500 people. And again, this is a very serious lady who's being paid a six-figure, you know, honorarium to speak and then let me interview for 30 minutes. So, I mean, she's going to be engaged. So, 
It's yes. high character people who are going to engage on some level. But what's interesting is as the interviewer, the the success of the interview is so, it's such a weird dynamic. On one hand, it's really predicated on how good of a job that I do. But mm-hmm. on the other hand, it's also really important that I stay out of the way. So it's like, wait, 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 wait. How can the interview be so, like the, the, the flow and the feel and everything, how can it be so on your shoulders, Ken, but then you also have to get out of the way? Um, and, and, and I'm glad you all asked me that because you didn't ask me, but I'm asking myself. And here's, here's what you have to do. You have to make sure that you prepare so well and that you are inside the mind of the audience and what they want to hear from that guest. The other thing is you got to do everything that you've been talking about so far, which is how do you connect with them so that they go from being Condoleezza Rice, who's been interviewed 8 billion times, mm-hmm. she doesn't know me from a hole in the wall. It's not like I'm Tim Russert, you know, a respected yeah, yeah. interview that she knows personally, and maybe she's a little on edge to be interviewed by him. You know, that's not happening. She doesn't know me at all. So how do you connect with her and get her, you know, about five levels deeper than what she's used to talking about so that she gives something to an audience of leaders that she's never said and that they've never heard and they both walk away going, wow, that was really great. And then how do you do that but then not make it all about you? And what I mean by that is, is as the interviewer, your job is to ask the question and get out of the way. Like, yeah. don't, don't start inserting yourself in the conversation about what they just said. Only do follow-ups, only lift, only follow up. Don't offer your own opinion. Don't ask the question three times. Ask it once and get out of the way. Because as an interviewer, you have done a great job if the audience feels as though they have completely been transported into a conversation and and they can't even believe it. And they don't even really remember you as much. They just went, oh, those are really good questions. But they were so blown away by what the guest said that you got it out of them. That's when that's the ultimate compliment for a host. So it's a weird dynamic, but you have to kind of make the audience comfortable and your guests comfortable at the same time, even in an audio or video format. That's really interesting that you say that because I think there's something to that. I've heard interviewers who are uh, very activists, so to say, or always interrupting or offering their opinion. That's just what I taught my team the other day too, Ken. Thanks for mentioning that. You know, I hear that a lot. Right. And, and I, think, I think silence is your friend. I'd love to drill down on what you just said, though, to get her, and, and I agree, the more famous a person is, the more practiced they are at doing this for a living, the harder it is to really get beyond the sound bites and the script and everything. So how do you get, just to pick on a name, Condoleezza Rice, to go five levels deeper? What, what is the key? And again, remember, leaders, this translates to how you're really interacting with people that you're connecting with. So I'm fascinated by how you do that. Yeah, so just for a moment, let's take the audience with us. And, and let's yeah. just assume that you all get to interview Condoleezza Rice. And, right. and what are you going to ask her? Well, I, I'm going to guess that most of you are going, well, I'm going to ask her about leadership. Great, good idea. She's a great leader, right? She's, <laughs> she's led in some really unique areas. She was the provost of Stanford, for crying out loud. She was the national security advisor. Uh, and then she became... Uh, Secretary of State. So, I mean, okay, let's just take those three unique leadership positions. And that's incredible. So, there's a wealth of leadership gold. But how do you not just say, well, talk to me about uh, what it was like to lead uh, in the White House? Okay, now anybody Mm. can ask that question. Your National Security Advisor, it's not a bad question, but it's not five levels deep. So, let me tell you what I did at the Entree Leadership Summit. 
And what I did is I sat down just like you and I said, okay, obviously Condoleezza Rice, this interview is about leadership, nothing more, nothing less. But she's had these unique roles. So what are the themes or what would be the different context of leadership that she's been in? And then how can I ask her a question that she reveals some great wisdom and experience and principles from those unique roles that are transferable to this audience of men and women who are business leaders, right? So that's the entire mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I started, and I, don't, I won't remember everything. It's been a year, Carrie, but I know that I yeah, yeah. started thinking, okay, she's led in crisis. Do these men and women in business have to lead through crisis? Ding, we got one there. Uh, yeah. She has had to lead in collaboration because as Secretary of State, she also has to work with Congress, right? Yep. And as provost of Stanford, that's a role that very political, even though it's in a higher education setting, this is a woman who knows collaboration, you know? So I go, oh, ding, there's another. Let's do leadership and collaboration. Uh, let's, let's do uh, uncertain situations. Has she ever had to make some calls? There were some points, I'm guessing, where she told the president of the United States, I think we need to strike this country and there's some collateral damage possibility. Innocent lives. Yep. And I'm not certain if that guy's there or not. You, you see what I'm saying? You can just let your mind. I do. So I said, oh, leadership and uncertainty. So I came wow. up with all these big buckets of specific things that, that I could go deeper with. And so I, I fashioned the interview that way. And so I, would, I took her through her journey, but I started off the interview by talking about um, ice skating because I had done some homework and realized that she was a competitive ice skater as a kid. And so the first thing I said was, what are all those years of competing in a sport where it's not a team environment, it's an individual sport, and it's a lot of lonely hours of discipline training and all that, but yet you competed, but you didn't have a team, and now you're, but you're known for leading, uh, you know, among these very public teams. What did, what did ice skating teach you? So I'm just kind of going back to earlier interview. That was the first question. Why did I ask that question? Because I wanted her to go, this dude did his homework. Yep. Because I don't recall anybody on Meet the Press ever asking her about ice skating. In fact, mm. I went online, YouTube, and looked everywhere, and I didn't find any question where someone had talked to her about ice skating. So early on, she went, this guy did his homework. This guy took me way back to my childhood, fond memories, great life lessons. And so before we even got to the leadership questions, we had gotten this gold that nobody had ever heard from her. Yeah. It was awesome. So I'm kind of combining questions now. So what no, I love it. was, so I went five levels deeper. And so here's how I go five levels deeper. I don't just say, what's it like to tell the president of the United States? What's it like to give him an opinion? Um, and you're not right. certain how he's going to react. No, no, I, I go deeper. There were times where you, I'm guessing you probably had to give the president of the United States your opinion, but you didn't have all the information. What was going through your mind before you presented it? How did you present it? And what can our leaders, our audience learn about making a decision when you must make a decision, but you do not have all the facts? You see how deep that is? That's a nuanced question. It's, it's what I'm saying is deeper. And so yep. when you go that deep, it's back to what I said earlier. You, she, she had to think about it. She did not answer mm-hmm. right away. She... And, and I'm doing my job if Condoleezza Rice is going, yeah, and she's got, you know what I mean? And she's like, well, Ken, that's a really good question because she's trying to gather her thoughts because she's taking herself back to a very specific moment or very specific moments. And that's when the audience goes, oh, goody, 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 goody. Yeah. Insane. 
because my job in that role is to create a conversation that the audience walks away going, she was amazing, that was great. Not, Ken asked a really good question. Well, and you've already hinted at this, but I think we live in an era of gotcha journalism where if you look at a lot of the shows or the scrums that anybody in public life does, so many people who do interviews, I've heard it because I, I study a bit of interviews. It's like, they're not even questions anymore. No. It's more like accusations. It's okay. more like, well, when you were making that strike, did you not believe that thousands of innocent children would be killed? Okay, how are you going to answer that, Ken? Like, I know, like, there's no win in that, right? And we've seen that done of, of, of uh, religious leaders, pastors, yeah. Christian leaders, politicians, so on the one hand, you have people who are used to this coming in, wondering, are you friend or foe? Yeah. Right. But how do you, how do you not just lob softballs? Like, how do you navigate that space where you're asking really tough questions, but you keep your guest comfortable? Yeah. I think you've given us some insight into that already, but I'd like to see if there's anything else there. Because otherwise, you're just like, so what was it like to be Secretary of State? That's right. You know, like you're, you're in the softball category where you're not going to get a really great answer. Yeah. Well, uh, two, two answers. The, the first answer is I'm not in the uh, political media, so there's never a hard question that I will ask that is in any way going to put my guest on the defensive. Yeah. It, it, it's just not. It may be a hard question, and I just gave an example of one where I'm going to... Yeah, you did. I, my goal is to make is to make CEOs think and make leaders think to my questions. I really want them to get outside of the uh, the normal questions. I remember interviewing Robert Hershevet, who's one of the sharks on ABC Shark. Yeah. This was two years ago at that summit event, and three times that are thinking, he went, good grief, Ken, that's a really good question. It's hard. It's really good. <laughs> and the audience started laughing along with it because he was, he was just like he had never been asked these questions before. So again, wow. but he was not offended because these weren't, these weren't in any way uh, questions that made him defensive. He actually was like, all right, I got to step my game up here, you know, because he had not been asked some deep leadership questions. So the first, that's the first thing. If you're in the world that you and I are in, then, then the mm -hmm. questions are really, they should never even get close to putting somebody on the defensive um, because you're honoring, you're digging, and then you're shutting up. You know what I mean? Like honor them, dig with the question, get out of the way, shut up, let them answer it. And if they don't give you what you want, it's a beautiful thing. You're going to get a chance to do a follow-up question. And so you don't have to ever put somebody on the defensive. Um, the, the, the second thing is, though, is I really think through the interviews. I'm giving away my secret sauce, and, and you may get to this in a minute, so I don't want to foreshadow too much. But the bottom line is, is that you have to know as an interviewer where you're going. Meaning, do you have a plan for this interview? Like, is there a starting point, a midpoint, and an ending point? Because if there isn't, you better be really, really good at what you do, or <laughs> it's going to be a little bit of a catch the tiger by the tail especially with somebody who's been interviewed a hundred times and maybe if they're long-winded, a lot of times I'll interview people that are well-known and they don't really answer my question right away. So that's right. a more specific question yields a more specific answer. The softball question can sometimes get you a bunch of gobbledygook. Yes. You know what I mean? Because I know yeah. people who have, and I won't mention names because you know who they are. If you ask them a softball question, they'll forget what the question was. Oh yeah. They've just got whatever they want to talk about. Yeah. They're just, they're just on. And uh, so 
you have to be super specific about what it is that you want and be okay saying, all right, next, I want to talk about leadership in the context of delegation, but not just being efficient with delegation, really from a, 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 an angle of trust, you know, because you can delegate something and think it's efficient, but take it back if you don't trust somebody. How much does trust play in truly being able to delegate and let it go? You see the difference there? Yeah. So you're trying to yeah. put them in the corner and go, I'm asking you about trust. You know what I mean? Uh, and, and, and so again, back to that idea of if the more specific you lead the guest, the better you're going to get them in a positive corner where they have to answer what you're asking. Yeah, it's interesting. Beginning, middle, and end. Do you think that applies to conversations you have with key leaders as well? Like let's say the green room conversation. So most, most leaders here would be in a situation where they're at an event and they're going to grab coffee and all of a sudden Robert Herzovic shows up or, you know, someone else who's a speaker or a pastor that, that was on stage a few minutes ago shows up and they want to have those, those few minutes and they're hoping to get something out of them. How do you, for the average leader, like how would you navigate that kind of a conversation? Because they can tend to be awkward or pointless or meaningless at the end of the day. It's just, I love your work. Thank you very much. Which actually is not meaningless. Like people appreciate it. Yeah. But what what would you say, beginning, middle, end? Is that something that applies beyond interviewing? Uh, only if you know you have a set amount of time for a conversation. In a green room yeah. setting like that, I've been in this situation. I love this question. So it's a very different approach. You have to You have to go in like you've got one thing and only one thing. It's why I wrote that book, One Question, which is my first book. Yeah, yeah. I'm not kidding. This is where I got the idea because I had so many moments like that over the years in Catalyst. You know what I'm talking about. And you have an opportunity to meet somebody that you really respect. And and I, I caught myself just kind of going up and saying nice things. And I never yeah. got anything valuable out of it. And I don't mean selfishly. I mean like value. And you get an mm -hmm. opportunity to say hi to somebody. Would you rather go up and just gush all over them and tell them how much you love them and ask them for a selfie? Or would you like take the chance to ask them a question that throws them off and they go, huh, that's pretty good. So I got to the point where... Uh, I was going up to people and I would, you know, I'd go up to somebody, person X, and I'd say, hey, uh, so glad you're here. Great to meet you. Hey, I read in your book, boom, 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 boom. What did you mean there? Or you know what I mean? Like I would, I would, wow. have, one, I would have one thing. So it's really instead of beginning, middle, end in a close, in, uh, in an intimate kind of uh, unscheduled situation, I think you go right to the end. If there's only one thing you could get. Or one thing you got three minutes, four minutes with them, right? Certain, Maybe if you're lucky. Yeah, it could be that like uh, they wrote a book that changed your grandfather's life. Could be something personal, and you just that yeah. was the most important thing. So you come and go. Hey, listen, my name's Ken. Uh, never met before. I know you're busy. You got a lot going on. I want to tell you this: the book that you wrote, the blank of the blank, 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 uh, absolutely changed my grandfather's life, and he told me about it. And I still have the copy that he got that you signed, and he gave it to me, and I have it uh, next to my bed. And but you know, if that's something, yeah. That really means a lot to you, or they shaped your life. If that's the most important thing, then say that. Now, what they do with that, and are they going to come in? And, you know, is there somebody going to come around and take them away? So that's what I mean by in that situation, I'd go right to the end, and I, I, I would go to the if there was only one thing you could say or one thing you could ask, what would it be? I'd lead with that because here's what might happen, and I've had this happen. I go to that, and they go, "Well, that was thoughtful and insightful." Here's somebody who's not blowing hot air at my skirt. They're actually asking me a really good question. And boy, I respect that. I'm going to answer this kid's question. Yeah. And sometimes they'll sit down with you and next thing you know, a half hour has gone by, right? Yes. You don't expect that, 
but but anything else beyond that one thing is gravy. So that would be my advice to that specific question. Mm, okay. That's super helpful. Let's go back to interviewing. So we talked about what opens a guest up. Um, on that note, opening up a guest, but also shutting down a guest. So a defensive question will shut down a guest, right? You put them on the defensive and they're like, and back to your earlier point, oh, I don't think I can trust Ken. Like he's he's going for the headline. He's going for the sound bite. He's going for the tweet that will blow up and go viral. Right. So I'm just going to play it real safe right now. What are some other things that open people up or shut them down that you've learned as an interviewer? Well, I think, uh, again, when you can lead them through the first two or three questions and they feel like this person has prepped for me, they, they've not only prepped, but they really respect my opinion and they appreciate my work and they're trying to, to platform my work through these questions. And boy, oh boy, do I feel like this person is honored to be talking to me. My goodness, this is really, really special. Now, all of a sudden, they like you. And so right. those first two or three questions, you're trying to establish two things, credibility and likability. And the better the questions, the more likable, right? So everything I've told you so far, the question, the quality of the question that shows that you're prepared and that you give a crap. Okay. That's yeah, yeah, yeah. Huge. That's huge. And so that's a credibility. But after about two or three of those, they go, boy, I am enjoying this. I don't remember the last time I enjoyed an interviewer's questions like this. This is, should be your goal. And by the right. way, they're humans. Just You said this earlier, Carrie, and you're spot on. They're just like us. So treat them like you care about them and that you honor them and that you want to hear what they got to say. And about two or three of those questions I found, two is all it takes. Three solidifies it. Before you know it, they're having the time of their life. And when they're done, they will go, I really enjoyed this. That's what you're looking for. You get that, and, and that's how they open up. They open up when they enjoy it. And what makes them enjoy it? it? You've done your homework. You're prepared. You're making them think. They feel honored, and they, and they feel like their work is appreciated by you and that uh, you are just here to let your audience experience their goodness. And, boy, if somebody feels that way, it's, it's, it's done. The likability's there, and they're going to open up like a flower. So what I hear you saying is there's engagement from you. It's not just, yeah, who's next on my list? You've done some homework. You've, you've, you've gone into their past. You've, you've thought about the questions. So it's that I, I, I'm sensing um, a tension or a duality between engagement. I'm really thinking about this question, and then restraint. Yep. I'm going to shut up, sit back and let the guests go. Can you talk about the role of restraint or silence or listening in an interview? Um, I'm, I'm, I argued in my last book that it's increasingly a lost art, the art of listening and having a conversation. I'd love to know your thoughts on how listening is a part of your interview process. Yeah. Well, let's talk about the audio format and then the, the visual yeah. format. So that would either be sure. on YouTube if you're sitting with your guest and the audience can see you or in a live audience format with a lot of pastors, leaders at business conferences are doing live interviews where people can see both of you. In the audio format, people can't see your body language, but they can tell. And so hmm. to answer your question, the way that you become a really good listener is by actually, wait for it, you actually listen. And the key to listening in the interview is being prepared. 
I think the biggest mistake that young podcasters and young interviewers, and to be honest with you, some experienced interviews that I could name names on television that drive me crazy, they are not listening to the guest. They've got their pre-prepared questions. They've got a, they've got a, uh, a segment they got to fill. They ask the question. They're partially listening, and they're only looking at the next question to make sure that they can ask it properly and not look like a dunce. And then young interviewers just simply don't know. They're nervous. They probably don't prepare well. And so they're so nervous about dead air. What do I do when the guest is done with the answer? I've got to be ready for the next question. And they're not listening. And so the best way to, uh, as a host, is to do what you're asking, Carrie, is to actually listen well and be completely 100% maniacally focused on the answer. Because you don't need to worry about your next question. It's written out in front of you. And it's okay to look at it. And if you've prepared, it's not the first time your eyes have seen it. And, and, and if there's a follow-up question, take the follow-up question. You know, actually conversate. You know, I, years ago, Carrie, I stopped saying interviews to my team. I'd say conversation because I wanted to get good at conversation. And if I was good at conversation in a performance, that's what we're doing. You and I are performing a conversation and, and when we're the host. And so I've got to do a good job of letting the audience feel like, man, Coleman must be locked in. You can tell in an audio format if the person's not listening to the answer. Because they'll leave the gold and go to the next question. Everybody's going, whoa, did you hear what he just said? So that's one thing. Now, visually, it's a lot easier. So I'm going to give this tip because I see this a lot. So one of the things I do is listen with my body. I listen with my entire body, not just my face, my entire body. So when I'm doing a live interview, whether it's at Catalyst years ago in front of 12,000 or that Condoleezza interview, I'm fully aware that Condoleezza and I are in the middle of this stage, or Tony Dungy and I are on this stage, and we're in the round. You were there, Carrie. You remember. It's just, and there's big screens everywhere. So I don't have the luxury of disappearing after the question. So I've got to really lean in physically, and my eyes should rarely leave the guest. I'm only glancing. I've got my questions on my iPad. That's how I roll. But I'm prepared, and I know where I'm going anyway. But I can glance. And when I glance, you're not even noticing it. But for the 99% of the time of that interview, the audience is seeing me completely locked in. And what will happen over time is, is I begin to fade away, and their eyes are only looking at the guest because I'm not a distraction to them. Right. But if I'm looking at my notes... For half of Condi's answer, it's distracting. And so I want to be completely engaged. I want to lean in. I want to smile. I want to, you know, I, the whole time, my body and my face needs to be pointing to the guest. Can't forget that. Like, you know, and so that's huge. And a lot of people don't think about that kind of stuff. You want to try to be invisible in that interview, whether it's audio, uh, excuse me, audio only or the visual side of it. You want to disappear while that guest is talking. How do you know what makes for a good follow-up? You say, because I've heard this too, and I've done it. Sometimes I'll listen back to my interviews and I'm like, oh, I hope you asked him about this. And then often I do, but sometimes I don't. And I'm like, ah, oh, missed opportunity. How do you know that there's more there? Are there certain triggers? Are there, are there certain things that you're like, we, we, we got to drill down on that? Yeah. Well, so the answer to this is, I know this because of my preparation beforehand. So right. I'm going to give away my secret sauce right now. So when I've got a Carrie Newhoff in, uh, as a guest or I've got Condoleezza Rice 
and I've got a set amount of time. So let's just take this Condi example because we've been using it. So this is a 30-minute yeah. interview at a live leadership conference. I've got a hard clock, 30 minutes. So here's what most interviewers don't do. Uh, and so I'm going to give away the sauce. So the first thing I say is, what does my audience want to know? Like, why are these men and women coming to this conference? What do they want to know? Okay. Now, what do they need to know? Now, that's a little different. And I, I'm nuanced there on purpose. What do they want to know? Well, the answer to that is they want to know things are going to help them lead their businesses better, right? Mm-hmm. What do they need to know? Well, they need to know a variety of things, right? They need to know... Uh, how to grow as a leader, not just lead better, but how do they grow? They need to know how to deal with crisis. They need to know this. They need to know that. And I just kind of make a joint list here. Now, then I go, okay, now I got Condoleezza Rice. What does Condi's experience allow for her to speak into those specifics of what they want to know and what they need to know? So now all of a sudden you go, okay, this is great. Condi knows how to lead in crisis. So that's where I got that. She knows how to lead and collaborate. That's where all those questions came from by me just asking myself those three basic questions. Now, then I say, okay, I've got a good idea of the content here, but I have limited time. So I went online and I researched on YouTube uh, several Condi interviews, and I got a ballpark idea about how long she answered. Okay, you've done a lot of- <laughs> That's interviews. scientific. Good I'll for you. Well, let me tell you where this all comes together. It's super simple. I had an idea that her average answer, she didn't speak a lot, but she's very measured, okay? So uh, it came down to about three, three and a half minutes on certain answers. Now, this is of political nature, so I'm going to ask her leadership stuff. It's going to be a little bit deeper. So I had a feeling, okay, she's going to be somewhere in that three-minute range. And this doesn't have to be perfect, but in 30 minutes, how many questions is that, Carrie? That's 10 questions. You're getting eight or nine, 10 at the most? Well, but it's really... It's never going to be 10, but I go 10 at most. But the reality is I'm going to have some follow-up questions. Yeah. So now let's just say I have at least two follow-up questions, maybe three. So now my prepared questions are going to be somewhere between seven and eight max. Wow. So now I've got realistically seven to eight questions max that I'm going to be able to get out. I know what the audience wants to know. I know what they need to know. I know where she comes in and what her experience can lead into, the, can, can give to those topics that they care about. So now I go, all right, what matters most? And so I, I begin to architect the interview. Well, I already gave this away earlier. I knew I wanted to break the ice. So I was going to do that skating question first because I wanted to break the ice for the reasons I already gave. So boom, now I'm down to seven. Max. So I start working through, okay, I know I wanted to start there. And then I stop. I don't think about any of the next questions. I go, where do I want to be in the middle of this thing? Because a really good conversation, right, has an arc to it, right? We're going to start here. Now, this is an intentional conversation for leaders. We're going to start here, and I want to lead people through her story. Well, she was a national security advisor before she was provost of Stanford. So we've got national security advisor, and then she becomes provost of Stanford, and then George W. pulls her back out okay, and pulls her back into the White House, she becomes the first African-American female Secretary of State. Hello. So there's your crescendo of her career, all right? So I'm thinking through all this, and I go, all right, I know I want to cover crisis. I want to, I want to cover collaboration, all these things. And I go, where do I want this thing to end? And, uh, and you start thinking about your last question next. 
And so you get that first question and then you write your last question. This is what I do. And now I know, okay, this is where I want to start and this is where I want to end. And everything in the middle now has to lead to that last question. It has to feel like we've covered a lot of things, given the audience this broad overview of just gold, right? And then at the end, boom, you know, and, and, and finish high. And, um, and so that's how I do it. And so that's where you get to, you, you have some wiggle room with the follow-up, but it's based on what I feel like I have to accomplish. So I could be two questions in, and, and so now I know where I need to end up. So I can cut questions two, three, and four if I have to. And to answer your question now, I know it was long-winded, but I wanted people to really get this. Mm -hmm. If she says something as an answer to the second question, and she answers it, but she says something that I didn't expect her to say, and it allows us to go deeper, or it takes us in a similar path of something I'm going to ask later, boom, I'm going to go right there. Go right there. Yeah. Well, because she's already there. And so it's much better to go, hey, oh boy, that's really good. You said this, and I was going to ask you about you know, this idea of, of how to get a consensus and, and collaborate and all this kind of stuff. Because leaders have to, you know, they got multiple leaders in their departments, you know, and they, we want everybody to kind of be as on board as possible. But at the end of the day, a leader's got to make this. You said this, tell us about this. And so I took a question from later and I kind of worked it in. So you know when there's a follow-up question, when they take you somewhere new you hadn't planned and it matches mm. up with, does it, is it what they want to know? Is it what they need to know? And so you just go with it. Go ahead and take it. Because it's so much more organic to take it out of their last answer as opposed to saving it for later. Go ahead and go ahead and let the conversation take you there. And again, Carrie, I gave you that long-winded answer because when you're that prepared the way I prepare, I'm so comfortable in the moment. I'm not worried about my next question. And so I'm listening. If she drops something on me, like every time I interviewed Andy Stanley, it was like this. He'd say something. I'd be like, oh, my gosh. You know, it's like I couldn't yeah. finish his answer. So I could say, okay, you answer this, but you also said this. We got to go there. Take me there. Right. You let the guests take you there. Well, preparation allows for me to be. Uh, here, here, what's the word? Preparation allows for improvisation. Hmm. That's good. And you're right. You're right, because you're comfortable, you're not nervous about filling the time, you're dialed in on the guest, and you can probably pull the two or three questions left for those final 15 minutes that are going to take you home. Yeah. I've had this experience, you've had this experience, uh, and this happens less live on stage, more when we're doing this. And this will happen to leaders too, when you, you know, you're, you're meeting with someone and you feel like you're getting a bit of a sales pitch yeah. or you're getting the answer that they've given 17 times. And again, no naming names, but I've had that uh, happen a few times where I'm like, I heard this at the Global Leadership Summit or I read this in chapter eight of your book and it sounds exactly like chapter eight of your book. Right. And as soon as I start to get like, re I, I want to talk about the book and we'll, we're going to talk about your book today. But like, I, I, I always think like, no, I don't want my listeners to hear what they've already heard or I want them to hear it in a fresh way. Yep. So I've developed some techniques to disarm the guest, if you want to put it that way, in the friendliest way. Have you ever had that happen? And what do you do in a situation like that when you feel that you're getting, you know, let's say your first penetrating question didn't quite work or they took it back to a stump speech. How do you, how do you move out of that? 
Yeah. Well, there are times where you just can't, you know, all the mm. things I've already said usually work nine times out of 10. Yeah. They usually work. Yeah. But it's a pretty good. Not having a good day or, um, I have found that it's, it's less that a guest is maybe uh, not having a good day or that they're just giving me the, the spiel. Uh, they might, that just be, that's how they are. Uh, yeah, it could be. And I, I'm thinking of several people that I've interviewed and every time it's kind of like, you know, the content itself is good, but they just, you know, there's just not a whole lot of excitement there and you can't really get them to, to go with you. You're trying to lead them and they're not necessarily going to follow. Um, and I'm thinking of one guest who's just a perpetually short answer. It's like, man, I just gave you, I just teed you up for five minutes, brother, go for it. And he gives me 50 seconds. And so I've learned to just, um, now this, this is why I love this question. Early on in my career, Carrie, I would fight too hard and push too hard. And then it makes hmm. it awkward for everybody. And the audience can hear, and I can tell that I'm, that I'm, that I'm kind of pushing. And you can tell the guest is like, I just answered that. Why aren't we moving on? And, uh, and so the point is, is you, you, you take what the, what the uh, guest gives and you do your best job. And you cannot yeah. make an uninteresting, unenthusiastic person interesting or enthusiastic. You just can't. <laughs> Sometimes you have a bad guest, right? Yeah, it just doesn't work out. You know, I'm, in fact, I'm, inter I'm I'm training a young guy right now within our company to do more stuff, do more interviews. And he had an experience like this and he just was down. And uh, I hadn't listened to the interview yet. And he told me basically the same thing. And I said, listen, man, um, we'll review it. But my guess is, is that you did a good job with your questions and that's all you're going to get sometimes. And you can't, you know, you play with the Play-Doh you get, you know, it is what it is. Yeah. And, and there's not a question that can change somebody's personality. There's not a question that can change somebody's effort. I've found uh, two things that have helped me in that. I'll just bounce them off. You see, you see what you have to say. One is uh, sometimes I'll go to an emotion like, yeah. okay, that's really interesting. So I'm question three, question four in, and I feel like I'm getting... A more standard answer, I'll be like, well, can you tell me what bothers you? Like, why do you, what is wrong with interviewing today, Ken? Yeah. And then often a guest will light up and go, oh, wow, there's so much wrong. Yeah. I mean, da, 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 da. Yeah. Another time, uh, I remember there was one, and again, no names, but a really well-known A-list guest. And I thought, this, this is your talk from August of last year. Like, I'm, I'm getting answers pitched back at me. Yeah. So I said something I knew was a little bit inaccurate, not a lie, but just like a bit controversial, almost playing like the dumb guy mm -hmm. who would say something he disagreed with and I got him to disagree. Oh, from that moment on, it was gold. Yeah. Like I just, I lobbed him something that he could bat down and we had him. And I just found if you can get a guest in their emotional zone That's right. where they're really passionate about something, I don't know. Those are just little hacks. And I think yep. they work in conversation. Too. I think they sound good. I, and I wouldn't disagree with any of that. You know, I, I mm. just would warn people that based on what I just said and what you just said, there's no hack sometimes. If someone just <laughs> doesn't have it and they're not going to give it, don't be discouraged. Do a good job. And, and let it lay. But, you know, I think those are two really good things. And I agree with that. Anytime you can get to a guest emotion, you get them out of the malaise. And that's what you did there. I think those are both good techniques. 
So Ken, it sounds like you do a lot of interview prep and there's two schools of thought on that from what I know about interviewing. There's people like you who will go down and study the length of answers on YouTube and who will research other interviews. Uh, and then Larry King has fairly publicly said he wants to be dumb. He want, Like, obviously, if you've starred in a movie, he wants to know you're a movie star. He wants to know you play baseball, not football. Like, he doesn't want to be an idiot, but he's not going to go, like, he won't read the book. Because right. he says, the average American listening to me has not read the book. Right. So I want to be surprised by your answer and go with it. Yeah. Um, any thoughts? Like, can you over-prepare? Can you under-prepare? I vary. Like, I will prepare... If I know somebody really well, I won't prepare a lot. I'll just ask really interesting questions. And other times I'm going super deep, yeah. like right into like, when did the press last trick them or yeah. read the book in detail? I'm curious what your rule of thumb is. Yeah. Well, I only do what I described with Condoleezza when I'm doing an interview on a live stage in front of a live audience with a fixed amount of time. On a podcast, I can go, you know, I've got a lot of freedom. So yeah. I don't do that for Entree Leadership. Or when I have somebody on my radio show, I don't do that kind of level of research on how long their answers are. That's just when you're doing a live thing because it has to be precise. And it's a performance. It's much more of a mm. performance than it is on a podcast or a television show. So, uh, But I think I would be similar to you. Um, but to answer the question on Larry, and I love Larry King Live. In fact, he really taught mm. me how to do interviews. I never went to school for it. Uh, I have in my reading room at my house right now, Carrie, every DVD of the Larry King Live broadcast. That no way. show, my wife got it for me one time as a present. Uh, I've seen them all. I love Larry. I've, le I've read his biography. Um, here's what I would say with all due respect to Larry. That worked for him in that format, but I would also say that there's a little bit of wink-wink in that quote because I can't, mm. of, I can't think of more than about 10 people that he didn't have any idea about anything about them or their book. And, and so I think you can get away with that with a book if your questions are high level. But, you know, I do this for Entree Leadership where I'm doing deep dives with great thinkers. And I don't think it serves the audience well for me to go into an interview with Seth Godin or Simon Sinek or you name the name, Malcolm Caldwell yeah. or Jim Collins, and not dive deep in the book. And so appreciate that from Larry. But I think you're going to get the same interview that every other podcaster does if you use Larry's approach for a thought leader and a book. So mm -hmm. I go to, and anybody who listens to Entree Leadership knows that I'm, that I'm true blue here. You'll listen to an interview and you'll hear me go, I want to go to page 58. And midway down through the page, you say this. Now, am I over-preparing there? No, I've learned how to speed prepare and I've got a really great process there. But that is what, again, accomplishes everything I've set up to this point of putting that author on their heels a little bit and also making my audience feel like I give a crud about them and the author feels like I give a crud. There's nothing that'll connect more with somebody when they know you've read their book or prepared their book. Mm -hmm. They appreciate that. And, and so um, love Larry King. I think, I think that works to some degree if you're interviewing somebody about a movie. I don't think that works if you're interviewing a thought leader and you're trying to get something special for your audience. And in my opinion, there's so many podcasts. Um, I want my interviews to stand out, not for the credit, but I want my audience to go, Ken really cares. No, I, 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 think, I think there's a lot of sense to what you're sharing. And on that note, we, you probably get approached all the time by um, people who are starting out in podcasting. 
I think it was a lot easier. I love the story you tell in your book about the the warehouse, no air conditioning catalyst being stuck in this booth where it's like, here we go with podcasting when it really was an innovative form. What tips or advice? Because I think it's 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 a little I had an advantage. I started five years ago. You started almost five years ago. You know, you started years and years ago. It was a bit of advantage when it was the Wild West. It's still the Wild West, but there's a lot I was I, I think, other than your show and a handful of others, one of the first true long form interviews in the church space. That's right. Five years ago. That's right. Like now it's like, oh my gosh, there's hundreds, yeah. but uh there weren't there weren't a lot of us. Um so if you're starting out today, what tips would you have for young podcasters who are just getting out there? First tip is start. Just, mm. just go ahead and turn the mic on. And even if it's GarageBand and a really cheap mic from Best Buy, go ahead and start and get the first one out. Listen to it and be okay with the pain and being embarrassed with how bad it is. And then do the second one and try to be better on the second one. And then, and then keep that process, rinse and repeat. I think that I talk to so many people who want to start a podcast and they feel like they got to have $1,200, $2,000 worth of equipment. They got to have a beautiful mission statement. They got to have great cover artwork and all the things that, quite frankly, just didn't exist 10, 11, 12 years ago. I'd have to talk to Brad Lominick. It was before he was involved. I mean, when we started that Catalyst podcast, man, nobody even knew what a podcast was. In fact, I still had an iPod just to take you back. <laughs> <laughs> there, there was no cover art and there was no glamorous, you know, headshot. There just wasn't any of that. It was, we were just putting something out and uh, the music was bad and everything was bad. Um, but then it got really, really good over time. And so uh, I would not worry about equipment. I would not worry yeah. about headshots. I would not worry about um, mission statements and all that. I would, I would answer the question, why do I want to put this podcast out? Why? Mm. Who is it that I most want to help with this podcast? What problem do I most want to solve with this podcast? What solution do I most want to provide? If you can answer any one of those three questions really clearly, then uh, go ahead and give it a rip and know that you can change the answer to that question. But I think that's what you got to do, and you just have to put it out there. And, and then one other thing is, is, remember this, I read a biography I don't know, Carrie, five, six years ago about Simon Cowell. And I don't know if people know this about Simon Cowell, but he was not a successful record executive in England. Uh, he was very unsuccessful. In fact, he was just, he just couldn't get anything to work. And he finally decided to put together a, a boy band or a girl band. I'm not sure which one. I think it might have been the Spice Girls. I got to go back and read it, but it was a band like that. And then he had, his big break was the Spice Girls. But he, he started looking for ensemble, boy band, girl band type things. And in the book, it's, he said, I finally decided after a lot of frustration and no success to actually find a group and produce music that I would listen to, that I personally wanted to listen to. And there's genius in that for you young podcasters. Yes. Produce a podcast that you would listen to. Just, just that, that's, your, so good. that's your only thing. Just produce something that you would listen to, because guess what? There's a lot of people in this gigantic world who want to listen to the same thing you do. And Simon Cowell realized, I want to listen to boy band music. Turns out a lot of people wanted to listen to that kind of music too, and that's where he got his start. He started producing something he would like to consume, and I'll just leave it at that. I think that right there should uh, eliminate the uh, paralysis of analysis. 
No, you know, that is such good advice. I'm going to quote you on that because I get asked that question all the time. And, you know, John Acuff, a mutual friend, gave me really good advice. Because when you're starting a podcast, as I did in 2014, uh, you can't believe anyone's listening and you're begging anyone, including household pets, to be a guest (laughs) because you don't know anyone and you're like, does your dog talk? Like, maybe I could interview your dog, right? And then publishers start sending you books and guests want to be on. And the next thing you know, I got into this phase because the podcast did well within the first year where people are lining up. And I felt this obligation to like, well, if you sent me a book, of course I have to have you on the show. And Acuff just said to me, he said, Carrie, just do whatever you're interested in. And that has been four and a half, five years later, Mm -hmm. super helpful filter. And it's not that this is so, you know, part of the reason I was so excited to have you on and I spent a lot of the interview there is like, I get to interview someone who's masterful at interviewing like this is this is incredible and who's got a very successful career doing it i'm interested in that but i wanted to also run it through the filter of the leaders like you said which is like hey when you're in the green room or you see this guy at an event or you're trying to have a conversation with people what are the transferable principles and i think those two things can work really well for young podcasters and uh, just ship you just got to get your show out there and uh, see if there are other people like you. So you do tell the story in your new book, The Proximity Principle, about starting off in podcasting oh. in a warehouse in Atlanta with no air conditioning, very unhumble, no artwork, right. uh, back in the day, et cetera, et cetera. And what I love about it, I, I told you before we started recording that uh, when I'm finished with the book, well, after the interview, my niece is going to get it because she's just starting out and she's got dreams and hopes And here you are interviewing some of the most influential leaders in the world, but you hadn't, like, you didn't come from royalty. uh, And you started out really in the middle of nowhere, which is where all of us start or most of us start. Mm. And so tell us about the premise behind the book and how you begin to use relationships and then also your particular location, where you are and who you know, uh, to move ahead without being that guy who's just socially climbing. Yeah, well, every day, Carrie, I get to host the Ken Coleman Show on Sirius XM. It's a caller-driven show where men and women uh, from all walks of life and all ages, from their 20s to their 50s, are calling in because they desperately want to know what every human wants to know, which is why am I here? And what am I supposed to do with my life? And and so we help people with that construct, and I walk them through a, a series of questions, and they have the answers. I don't. I just uncover their heart. And we look at what they do best, talent and skills, and we look at what they love to do most, passion, and we help them see that God created us to use what we do best to do what we love to do most, and it's that combination. Mm. Talent's not enough. Passion's not enough. It's talent. Performing our passion with that talent is is where we find ourselves in that sweet spot, if you will, and so uh, I was on the way into the office one day, and a young podcaster uh, wanted to have me on, and I was looking at the stoplight, Kerry, his last question, he sent his questions ahead of time, and the last question was, if there was just one thing that you could share with our listeners on how you uh, succeeded in broadcasting, not having gone to school and starting in your 30s, what would it be? And I was like, oh, boy, this is not, it's not a good question. It's, it's like impossible hmm. to do that. Uh, but I swallowed my pride, and I said, okay, look, what, what can I say that would really help a lot of different people get this idea of how do I get where I want to go? Because that's... If you know where you want to go, now you got to deal with the fear and doubt, right? Yeah, yeah. I fail or is there even a way? I doubt. 
And so that's when I came, I, I was sitting there at the stoplight and I realized that one thing I did carry well, and you've done this well, is I've put myself around the right people and I've put myself in the right places. And when I'm around the right people, they help me discover, find, or they put me in the right places. And then when I get in those right places, uh, they, they introduce me to more right people. And so I thought, boy, that's, that's, that's pretty good. It's just all about proximity. And, and that's when the proximity principle came to me, which says in order to do what I want to do, I've got to be around people that are doing it and in places where it is happening. And so the book is, is unpacking that principle with five specific people that if you are starting out or you're in a situation where you want to switch and you're facing fear and doubt, um, these five people are going to uh, help you know what you need to know and do what you need to do. And, and, and then they're going to get you in the right places. And then these places introduce you to more of these right people. And so what happens is when you get this intentional about proximity, Carrie, then opportunity is never going to be a problem. And so the right. book is promising opportunity. I'm not promising your dream job. You got to do that. But I talk to so many people who say, Ken, I can't catch a break or I'm not catching this break. And I can immediately say, well, let's look at the people you're around and the people you need to be around. Let's look at those two. And then let's look at the places you need to be in versus the places that you're in. And, and so um, I'm really excited about the book because it's very practical. It's not a, it's not a bunch of inspirational mumbo jumbo. It's going to walk you <laughs> through these people. And then when you're around them, what do you do? Yeah, exactly. Like, how do you not either blow the opportunity or become the social climber and you make that person feel, well, the only reason you're in the room is because you want something from me. So can you talk about that? Yeah. So we talk, so I won't go through all the people or the places, but let's, yeah, yeah. let's take, no, it's a great book. Let's take a producer. He's one, one of the people in the book is a producer. So let's just say that uh, you're in an, uh, you're in industry and uh, let's say that you're, you want to go into marketing uh, the marketing industry, and you're you're looking to make connections. Well, one of the people I want you to get with is a, is a high producer in that industry. So you think right. about in your zip code, uh, you think about somebody who's winning uh, in your industry, and they're a marketing professional. Maybe they own a marketing uh, firm. You're looking for some type of connection to get with this person, and then to your question, when you get with them, you better have a list of questions. They better see it. They better see a pad. Yeah. Uh, full of questions and you say, thank you so much. So you better lead off with gratitude. And then you need to say, I've got some specific questions and this is just because you're winning in your field and I'd like to be you one day. And I think there's nobody better I can learn from from you. Now, you think that you're asking questions and so you're taking from them, but what you just did in those two things with gratitude and showing the value in them, you are valuing them and they go, well, I like this. I like being valued. Here's a young person that thinks that, that, that they might like to be me one day, I'm sure as heck going to help them out. And so we always want to show value. We don't sit down with them and go, hey, I, I'd like to be you one day. And I figure you know everybody. I was wondering if you had a job for me. No, <laughs> Exactly. Whoa, 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 whoa. We, we don't want to do that because that is never going to work um, at all. And so, you know, no matter who it is that you're trying to be around, it's always gratitude. We're looking for humility and we're looking for hunger. And then let's also be ready to ask good questions. Everything we talked about in the first part of this interview works for anybody. You need to treat the influencer, you know, that you're trying to be around that could help you in your career like I treat Condi. It, 
Yeah. You, you, get, you get 10 minutes with them, seven minutes with them, whatever. You better have three questions. And they better be good questions because I'm telling you, when somebody sees you, you and I, uh, well, one of my dear friends, I don't know if you know Pat Lencioni. I'm assuming you do. Yeah, we've, inter- we've met. Yeah. Pat's book, The Ideal Team Player, uh, is, a, is a leadership book, but it's a treasure trove of gold when it comes to what we're talking about. And he talks about the ideal team player has three key characteristics. They're, hung, they're humble and they're hungry and they're smart. And what he means by smart is people smart. And so, you know, if you're using that formula in the questions you ask and in the way you interact with people, you, you won't believe how, how fast people will go, I'm going to help you out. I really enjoy this. Hey, I'm going to give you three names and I'm going to email them. I'm going to copy you and you need to talk to them as well. And uh, so we started sharing this idea of the proximity principle about getting around people that are doing what you want to do. Take them to coffee. Take them to lunch. You want to get into nursing and you're a little scared about the path to nursing? Ask your immediate network, plus your acquaintances, you know anybody that's a nurse? Well, you hook me up with them, it's a free lunch and free coffee. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And you go take a, a successful registered nurse to lunch and say, hey, I'm scared to death, and I'm just curious what you could tell me about your role. What do you love most about it? What do you not love? What are the hurdles? What would you do different? What do you think the path is for me? They're going to give you so much great information. And the antidote to fear, Carrie, is knowledge. And so yeah. the book, again, um, I, I walk you right up to five key people and into five places that if you're intentional about, you're never, ever going to be worried and wondering about opportunity. It's going to find you because you're around the right people in the right places. Ken, you know what I love about your your theory, your advice? <laughs> and, 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 and you just said it so quickly. You said, in your zip code. Yeah. Because I, like you do, I'm sure you get leaders all the time. How do I get into this? How do, how do I meet Dave Ramsey? And I think because of social media in particular, we all live in this fantasy world where if I could get, you know, Ken Coleman for lunch, if I could meet with Dave Ramsey, if I could sit down with Craig Grishel, if I could, Stephen Furtick, Andy Stanley, if I could just sit down with those guys, then all my problems would go away and I would have it made. And the reality is it never really starts that way. You you lead a pretty busy life. So does Dave, so does Craig. The likelihood of getting an hour with them, yeah, you know, it may happen. They they do for one what they wish they could do for everyone, but you're probably not going to be the one. And when people ask me all the time, well, how did you get to this place? It's like, it started with the guy 15 minutes from where I am right now at my house when I was leading a church of 50 and he had a church of 200 and he was willing to meet for lunch with me. Whereas famous people often are too busy or I have no access to them. And then he knew somebody who introduced me. I mean, you're talking about that kind of thing. You're talking about the guy down the road, right? Or the woman down the road. I'm talking about both. You just set me up beautifully, whether you meant to or not. Kudos to you. The, the, uh, one of the other archetypes, one of the other five is the professional. And the professional mm-hmm. for me was Larry King and Bob yeah. Costas. I never met with those guys, never have. But I learned how to do interviews by watching Larry King live and Bob Costas and Peter Frost. Mm-hmm. And if you you can't have lunch with Craig Groeschel, but you need to do both. And, and, and I'll get to that local person in a second. But for those of you who go, well, I can't have lunch with Craig Groeschel. No, you can't. And you can't spend an hour with him in person, but you can spend 20 times that one hour on YouTube watching his messages. You can listen yeah. to his podcast. You can go to Entree Leadership. You can go to Kerry Newhoff's podcast and listen to all these guys talk about how they grew their church or leadership things they're learning. So you can learn from Craig Rochelle and Andy Stanley, people that you may never get a chance to have lunch with. 
you have access to them via the digital age. And it's changed the game. The world is so flat. It's smaller than it's ever been before. You said it best, Carrie. So I want to encourage people. I never took a broadcasting class on how to do interviews, but I learned from Larry King Live, Bob Costas, and, and other broadcasters by watching them and learning from them. You can learn how to preach by watching Stephen Furtick. It's all over the internet. You want to preach like him? <laughs> Watch him. Hard to miss. Go to mm -hmm. Now, back to this local thing, because I love you said this. You know I introduced this in one of the five places, and that is yeah. where you are. It's the first of the five places that I introduced the audience to. And this is, to me, the most freeing thing out of the book. Because so many people think, Carrie, they got to move somewhere to go somewhere. I'm going to say yep. that again. So many people think they got to move somewhere to go somewhere. I had a guy call in my show about three weeks ago. He uh, is in Charlotte, North Carolina. He calls me up and says, Ken, hey, man, listen, I know what I want to do, but I just can't see a way to get there. I said, great. Tell me where it is you want to get, get to. And he says, well, I want to get into video production. I've always loved producing, directing, but I live in Charlotte, North Carolina. I got three kids, two dogs, a cat, a mortgage. We're not leaving Charlotte, North Carolina. That's just not, I can't move to L.A. And I just laughed and I said, can I ask you, how many production companies do you think are in Charlotte, North Carolina? And he started laughing. And I knew immediately that he got what I was saying. <laughs> he goes, I don't know, two, three dozen? I go, yep. I go, do you think you could make a good living working for those production companies? Because, you know, they produce every local TV commercial you see when you're watching TV at night. They do all the political ads. They do all the stuff. Mm -hmm. And he said, you're right, Ken. And uh, that guy emailed me. Uh, just a few days ago, and he just got hired at a, a local production company. He's doing what he loves. He doesn't have to move to L.A. And so this gets back to this idea of the law of the zip code, which I made up. I worked for John Maxwell for years, so I couldn't help myself. But the law of the zip mm. code says everything I need to get started is already around me. I'm going to say that again. Oh, so the law of the zip code says that everything I need to get started is already around me. Stop thinking that you got to move somewhere to go somewhere. Uh, there is somebody that you can learn from. There is some place where you can practice where you live. And you have got to stop looking at the dream job in Mount Everest as one giant leap to the top. It never works that way. If I told you that that was how you climb Mount Everest was just get a good guide and go, you'd laugh, <laughs> you'd laugh at me. And uh, so we've got to start treating this dream job as something that's extremely doable and work that matters to us, work that our creator gave to us long before we were even born. He said, this is what you were created to do, and it is doable, uh, but you're going to have to start local, and you're going to have to start slow, and you're going to have to kind of just walk your way into it. Uh, and, and so the way you do that is, where can I learn? Where can I do? Where can I connect? Proximity allows me to learn, do, and connect. Hmm. I think this should be required reading for all young leaders. Really, I mean, I don't think there's an age limit on it. I agree with you, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but that's great, you know, and you think about it where there's humble beginnings. You tell the story of Coach K in your first interview ever, which was a bit of a surprise. Right. And, you know, five years later, eight million downloads later, I'm still working out of my basement that's right. uh, of my house yeah. in the middle of nowhere. As my friends, when they come visit me, say, you have cows for neighbors. I'm like, yeah, but it's amazing what you can do. And uh, I think that's such an encouragement to so many people. What, yeah, one more thing. How do you adequately, in your view, 
thank the people who have helped you, whether that is a guest on your podcast, uh, from Condoleezza Rice all the way to the local pastor down the road or the production company in Charlotte, North Carolina, the people in your zip code, so that you, 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 you preserve the relationship. So even though it helps you, how do you properly express gratitude in your view to the, to the people in your life? Mm, that's a really good. I think you have to do it instantly. I mean, just let, with your whole soul, your whole body. You know, anytime somebody helps you, it's an instant. We need to instantly uh, share our gratitude. I think that we need to uh, periodically just send them a note or go by and see them and say, hey. Uh, so I'd say instantly. I'd say periodically. And then I would say that one way to show gratitude is to professionally max out. You know, I think of all the people that have given me a shot, and I, I could get emotional really quick. I won't. Mm. I can think of all the people that gave me a shot in broadcasting early on. And one of the best ways that I can show gratitude to them is to uh, perform at a high level because they had a role in vouching for me. They had a role in trusting me. They had a role in lifting me. And, uh, and, I, and I think that I owe them, not just my audience, uh, but I owe the people that have helped me, and I owe them consistency and excellence. And I think that uh, uh, beyond just staying in touch and thanking them, I think that one of the ways we honor people is they look at us and they say, boy, I sure am glad that I helped Ken Coleman because he's grateful, he has stayed humble, and he's making a difference. And I have an investment in Ken and we forget that we all stand on the shoulders of giants. We forget that every time somebody vouched for us, every time somebody connected us, every time somebody took a chance on us, believed in us, whatever it is, that there is an investment there in their time, their reputation, sometimes their resources. And everybody who makes an investment wants an ROI. And hmm. we honor people that helped us and truly thank them is by giving them a great ROI. Wow. Well, that's a wonderful place to finish, Ken. I know uh, a lot of our listeners, a lot of leaders already follow you. They track with you. But where's? Uh, tell us again about the book and then tell us where they can easily find you and subscribe as they should to what you do. Well, thank you for this opportunity. The proximity principle is not a new thought. You leaders know that. Uh, you leaders practice this. You live it. Uh, I just truly believe God gave me the language. Uh, in that car yeah. that day, just a way to say something that's timeless and been around forever. We know there's nothing new under the sun. And, and yet I do believe we've given language and a practical book here that uh, I hope blows the fear off of stepping out and doing what people are created to do. So many people really know, even in our churches, can we be really honest? You're preaching to them, you're speaking to them, you're counseling them, you're leading them, and they're waiting on God to tap them on the shoulder and show him the yellow brick road, and he's waiting on them to step out. As he yeah. says it, without faith, it is impossible to please God. It is my prayer that the proximity principle comes alive in churches. And, uh, and, and, and people say, wait a second, God's waiting on me to move, and i got to trust him. And so where's my contribution in this? And it is to step in faith and get out around the right people and in the right places. And I believe God's going to honor that and bring blessing through opportunity to people to truly be who he wants them to be. And so uh, the book is practical. 
I promise it's going to help some people. I'd love for you to, to check it out, and, and, uh, and I'll come speak at your church. I'll do whatever. I just want uh, this message to help people. Uh, KenColeman.com is the website. We've got a daily show on SiriusXM that's live on Channel 111 at 2 Eastern. Uh, coming in June, Carrie, Dave Ramsey is going to syndicate the Ken Coleman Show on AM, FM radio. So we're, we're asking for prayer uh, that, uh, wow. that God would you know, give us favor there in a world that's full of nasty, negative political talk. And now we're going to do uh, a caller-driven show on hope uh, to help people find what they're created to do. So KenColeman.com is a great place to connect for the book. You can buy the book there. Uh, you can connect with us on social media. Instagram is at Ken Coleman Show. Twitter is at Ken Coleman. Uh, but, you know, hey, uh, I, I think that's good enough and, and uh, just really grateful uh, for anybody that wants to kick the tires and check out what we're doing. Ken, thank you so much. I, I've really, really enjoyed this personally. I know leaders have enjoyed it, and uh, I hope it's the first of many times we connect. Thank you. Well, Kerry, I appreciate you. I've been following you. We have a lot of mutual friends, and what you're doing in that basement is making a huge difference, and I'm humbled just to be a small part of it. I love that conversation about conversations and interviews. I mean, wasn't that rich? And uh, it's actually a fantastic book to hand out, particularly to young leaders who say, I don't know anybody. How do I get started? And all these excuses, all gone when you read his new book, The Proximity Principle. All the links to everything we talked about are in the show notes. You can go to kerryneuhoff.com slash episode 271. If you have not yet tried Trained Up for free for 14 days, what are you waiting for? Head on over to servehq.church and try Trained Up for free to train your volunteers. And Pro Media Fire, if you need media and you want to stand out, you can get 10% off plans for life at promediafire.com forward slash carry, C-A-R-E-Y. So many churches have already done this, both in terms of Trained Up and Pro Media Fire. What are you guys waiting for? Hey, we're back in a couple of days with a fresh episode. My good friend Kevin Jennings is back. And we talk, well, we talk about some really interesting things this time around, in particular, how to build an authentic personal platform that's not about you and what it takes to gain traction online. Here's part of that conversation with Kevin Jennings. What can you do within the context of how you share your influence and grow it that naturally will force you to serve someone else? Now you might say, what do you mean, Kevin? All my ideas are brilliant. They're designed to help everybody. No, no, no. I'm saying, I hear you. What I'm saying is, how are you giving your influence away? Like how, how, like Carrie has me on the podcast right now. I have, you know, you could argue that I'm worthy or not of this opportunity, but the reality is he, he spends a significant portion of his influence capital for, for lack of a better phrase, giving it away. By letting other people come on this pla- on this podcast, promote their books, promote themselves, share their stories, introduce their church, talk about their ministry experiences. And that's, what am I doing to give my influence away? God did not give me influence for me. So guys, that's happening later this week. And you can get all the episodes absolutely free by subscribing for free wherever you get your podcasts. I personally listen on Overcast, which is my favorite provider, but you can get it on Spotify. Uh, Apple Podcasts, let's see, Stitcher, TuneIn, and Google Play, all those places, anywhere you can get your podcasts. So subscribe. Thank you for sharing. If you found this helpful, please do share it on social media. Tag Ken, tag me. 
And all the links to everything are in the show notes at kerryneuhoff.com forward slash episode 271. Back with 272 in just a couple of days. Thanks, guys. And I hope our time together today has helped you lead like never before. You've been listening to the Kerry Newhoff Leadership Podcast. Join us next time for more insights on leadership, change, and personal growth to help you lead like never before.